Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and I'm excited to bring you another great conversation this week on how to lead transformational change in your school. But before we get to this week's episode, I have an exciting announcement to share as my new website is now live. You can find it at reimaginedschoolsnow.com. This will not only serve as a home base for the podcast, but it's also a place to connect if you have an interest in bringing me to your school or maybe education conference to speak or do a workshop. I always enjoy getting out, talking with folks about uh, how to reimagine schools and how to lead transformational change. So go to the website, hit me up, send me an inquiry, and I'll be glad to get back with you. With the new website also comes the launch of a new executive coaching program, as my goal has always been to expand the reach of the podcast uh, to help with real-time solutions so school leaders can help take school districts from good to great. So go to the website, check it out. You can also click on the link and get a free coaching session so we can talk about how I can help you reimagine schools now in your school district. So jump over to reimagineschoolsnow.com and I look forward to hearing from you. This week, so excited to bring in my special guest, Dr. Saba Kidwai, who just released a great film on design thinking in schools. It features the famed Design 39 campus of San Diego, one of the nation's most innovative schools. Saba is a former high school social science teacher. Uh, she served as a director of innovation. She also worked for Apple uh, for, I think, four years as an educational leadership executive. She's also the founder of Designing Schools, and you can visit that website at designingschools.org, where Saba and her team help schools create a culture of innovation where everyone is empowered to move from idea to impact. Once again, a big shout out to the official sponsor of the Reimagined Schools podcast, my friends at Rocket PD. You want to check them out at rocketpd.com. But let's get to this episode. My conversation with Saba Kidwai begins right after this quick promo from the Education Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Dan Krinas, host of the Leader of Learning podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So excited to bring you another great conversation this week. My special guest today is Dr. Saba Kidwai. She's an expert in the design thinking for schools model and uh, just so delighted to have her to talk about her new film uh, that she uh, just produced recently. So a big welcome to uh, Saba Kidwai. How are you, Saba? I'm doing great. And thank you for having me. It was so great to receive your email about having watched the documentary. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, first of all, the concept of design thinking in schools. I think it's something that we really need to dive into and talk more about because it's so powerful when you are able to empower both teachers and students. But I also really enjoyed seeing uh, kind of a walkthrough of the Design 39 campus in San Diego. I've had Joe Erpelding on the podcast. Just kind of tell me how this whole project kind of began and what was the initial goal when you turned the camera on. Absolutely. So I actually first learned about design thinking from two first grade teachers at Design 39, Stacey Lamb and Kelly Eveleth at an EdCamp conference. And I was really intrigued by the reframing 
concept. Though I think a lot of times when we talk about education reform, there's this idea almost that we have to throw everything out and we've got to start from scratch and that, you know, invalidating really a lot of what we do. But I really, really found it so intriguing the way they were reframing everyday things that we're doing with our learners um, and really with ourselves as well. And so as I began using more and more of those practices, not only did I see a significant shift in my own thinking, my own mindset, my own willingness to try new things and just see things in a different way, but I saw a really, really, really big mindset shift in um, the students that I was working with and how seamless it became to take something that was very vague sometimes, something that was unknown, but give it a lot more structure. And I knew when I began my doctoral program that I wanted to tell the story of Design 39, but oftentimes when we introduce new ideas, it can be hard sometimes to visualize, okay, what does that actually look like in practice? And so that was really the reason behind turning the research into um, a, a video story. Yeah, and the name of the film is Designing Schools, The Future is a Place We Create. And that's kind of become your your mission professionally is to help people create a completely different school experience. Where did that drive come from? I know you got your start teaching. Uh, you were, a, I think, a high school social science teacher and maybe did some innovation work. Uh, but what was your big aha moment that, you know, we need to think about doing something differently? Absolutely. I think my own really big aha moment was just having graduated myself as a student and walked into a very turbulent world of work. And I graduated in 2006. And so just a few months later, you know, 2007, we had the Great Recession. And if you were an educator at that time, especially a new one who was not tenured, it, it, it was a hard time to survive being and staying in the teaching profession. And I just remember thinking, wow, like I did everything I thought I was supposed to. I, I went, I got the grades. I had a bachelor's, a master's, a teaching credential. I had done all the things. I had gotten a great job as a first year teacher coming out of school, but the recession really turned everything upside down for me. And it really made me feel like I was nothing more than a number that nobody really cared about, like what I could do, what skills I had. I was just a number in a system and that did not resonate well with me. And so I actually read a book. It was, it was a lot of trial and error, but the big defining moment for me was reading a book by Seth Godin called Lynchpin, where he says in today's world of work, like it's not enough to just know your skills and strengths. You have to articulate them, basically show people what you can do. Don't just tell them. And it made me really reflective of, you know, as a social science teacher, what value do I bring to the table? And at that time for me, it was really this ability to merge history and literacy. And then when iPads came out in 2010, that just added a layer that just completely changed the literacy game, I think, in many ways for how we integrate and how we teach it. And so that that never really left me. Like, I think it's something that till this day, I always wonder like, why was I not prepared for these things? And as I walk into schools today and, you know, we see what many other, you know, graduates are experiencing. I think, I think that's where we have so much power and influence um, to be able to really make an impact in people's lives. And I think that's why that's become just a really big part of what I do. Like, how do you help people unleash their own creative potential? And, you know, my familiarity with Seth Godin, obviously he's one of the, you know, the great uh, innovative thinkers out there, best-selling author, but his work about purple cows and how, you know, we can find, and I use that all the time whenever I speak, you know, we're looking for teachers that are purple cows that stand out and, you know, people notice immediately that are special, but he played a pretty big role in the film. How did that come about? I was very excited to see that. Yeah, you know, it, it's so, it's just so fascinating, you know, how like 
person who inspires you, like I always just say like, that is the world that we live in today. That somebody whose book I picked up and read off of the internet, I was able to then send an email to and actually have a conversation with and be part of my project. And so it, it was really just an email. It was an email. And I, you know, there's also a way to write those emails, right? There has to be like a genuineness. And so like the title I remember, I remember the opening was like this, this email is a decade in the making. And it really was because 2012 was really that big turning point for me. And here I was in 2022 emailing him. And I shared a little bit about the work that I was doing, the role that his book specifically had played. And it wasn't intentional. It was actually one of the last interviews I filmed, but I feel like his segments really tied the story together. And so it, it was a really powerful moment, but also I hope a testimonial and an example for everybody else. Like that is the world that we live in today. Not just Seth Godin, even Eric Brynjolfsson. These are all people that I admire, that I read, whose books were just on my bookshelf that, you know, we live in a world today where you can reach out to these people. And I think when you do it from the lens of a student in particular, people are a little extra excited to help. And I think that's, again, a huge opportunity for us in schools. How do we help students build these networks and do this work while they are in school? Because as I learned from being going back to school, one of the most powerful titles you hold is I'm a student and people are much more willing to help you. And, you know, I think every interview in the film was impactful. Not only was it Seth Godin, but it was the parents that you talked to. I thought that was just such a, a not only a telling part of the story, but it was also very emotional because the parents were just, you know, so thankful that their kids had the opportunity to be in the Design 39 environment. What was that experience like, kind of sharing those emotions and those feelings and just knowing that there is a place you can go that's doing things the right way? So I'll start by sharing um, I, one of my favorite quotes from the interviews when I was interviewing the teachers at Design 39. They said, when we put an idea on the table, it's no longer my idea, it's our idea. And that's really what the documentary was. Four and a half years ago, it was an idea that I put out there. I remember going to Joe and being like, hey, Joe, like, what do you think of this idea? And of course, Joe in his true enthusiastic, you know, fashion was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And I actually initially did not think about including the parents. And I'm really honest about this because I think it's so important for people to know that so many elements of this documentary came forward because of other people's ideas, but other people's enthusiasm for what this could be. And the parents were exactly that. The parents reached out to me and said, hey, we heard you're making this documentary. We would love to be a part of it. And I was like, okay, great. Like, let's brainstorm what that could look like. And we did some interviews with them and it just, I actually think the parents humanized the documentary. I think without them, it would have been a lot more educational, researchy, like that's just, you know, unfortunate ones that I kind of had and I brought in. And I think the parents came along and really helped me humanize um, the documentary and make it much more accessible to a wider audience. And so I would just also point that out that when you do projects like this, like nobody ever does them alone. Devin Vidichka was another person, a huge, like he's the one who really helped get it off the ground and got it up and running and gave it its launch and was such a great thought partner for me and a mentor. But these projects never happen because of one individual. And I think, again, when we go back to schools and we think about the initiatives we're driving in there, they will they can never happen because of one individual. They happen when we put an idea on the table, as they say, at Design 39, and we let it become everyone's idea. And, you know, I think it, it's probably important that we back up a little bit and talk about this idea of design thinking. It's certainly not a new concept. 
in in the business world you know at you know stanford university the d school we talk all the time about all the great things happening there but it's been used uh, widely for quite some time it's only though been kind of this recent phenomenon that it's kind of entered uh, education can you kind of walk us through what it is and how it's been used that you've seen it used out there on the west coast and then how it's kind of morphed into the schools Absolutely. So I would say, you know, the D school and places like that really popularized the idea. But to your point, it's been around for a really long time. I think even if you go back to one of my favorite lines while doing the research was from John Dewey, where he says technology is the art of experimental thinking. And I think that's what design thinking gives you the structure to be able to do is experiment. I think a lot of people, I think all of us, we have great ideas, we have hopes and dreams. I always say we all agree why education needs to change. We even know and can see what works and what we can do, but the how, the how is where we are just stuck. And we're stuck because we think too quickly. We're always thinking about the end product instead of thinking about how I take step one. And I think that's what design thinking really empowers people with is giving you the structure to lean on. It's like somebody holding your hand as you're learning to like ride a bike or you're trying something new. I see design thinking in that way. It gives you the structure. It's somebody, it's a framework that's going to hold your hand and guide you through what can sometimes be the unknown, through what can be uncomfortable, through what can be managing different voices and different ideas and very step by step by step walking you through how to move. I always say from idea to impact. Now, what that impact might look like could be completely different than what you envisioned in the beginning. Kind of with the documentary, I had no idea. If you asked me, this is how it would turn out. I never could have given you this answer. It starts with an idea, but you need structure to guide you through that idea. And that's what the design thinking process does. I do think one of the downfalls of how we use design thinking in education is we sometimes hold too closely to that to certain models like oh i'm just going to do an empathy interview i'm just going to you know define a problem i'm just going to do a prototype five hexagons done i'm done and that's not how it is you know sometimes you are in one space more than another and so one of the one of the areas i really liked more lately are the um, design sprint concepts that um, originated out of Google. And I always say, you know, like, it's like, we're using so many Google tools in our schools, but are we using the strategies, whether it's from building trust and cultures of collaboration to really thinking methodically about how we are organizing and implementing change initiatives to how we're measuring those outcomes. That's where when you lean on those design thinking and design sprint structures, you're going to be able to see more cohesion and more impact, which in turn, I think motivates more people to go deeper into that practice instead of seeing things as like a one and done. Hey guys, Dr. Greg Goins here, and I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. We'll get right back to the conversation after this quick shout out from our sponsor, Rocket PD. There's one thing we can all agree on. The days of sit and get PD are over. That's why my friends at Rocket PD have assembled the best experts on the planet on the hottest topics on education with a mission to create the world's largest community of educators committed to helping teachers and staff succeed. So prepare for launch by going to rocketpd.com where you can connect your team with the most inspiring educators 
on the topics that matter. It's professional learning fueled by passion. Visit rocketpd.com to join the Rocket PD community and download your free ultimate guide to K-12 PD. So join Rocket PD today and get the help and support that you've been searching for. And, you know, there's a lot out there now are, are more and more uh, available for educators on design thinking in schools. Um, so, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, if you ever had the chance to go to Design 39, that would be a great place to start. Watch the film. That would be a great start. But I've gravitated toward things like John Spencer uh, with uh, the launch and A.J. Giuliani and some of these folks that are kind of trying to create. I don't want to call it a system, but maybe a blueprint or a roadmap to help teachers understand design thinking. I know you do that with your consulting, with designing schools. What are some of the big questions you get when you kind of, uh, you know, come in and, and start working with school leaders and teachers about design thinking? Absolutely. I think one of the things that a lot of people want to do, they want to bring it to the students. They want to do projects with the students. And obviously that's great, right? I mean, ultimately we are all here to serve their interests. However, I've really come to learn that one of the challenges with, I think, any initiative is if you try to go to the student first, you ultimately are trying to sell the teacher a step-by-step -step playbook model. And while that can be great in the moment for sort of like, you know, kind of little bits of impact, I think if you really want to see that transformation, one of the places I always tell people we're going to start is one with your leadership team. Because if your leadership team don't have that mindset to create that culture, your teachers won't have what they need to be able to create that culture in their classrooms. And by default, your students will not get what they need unless you get that one-off person that's just willing to do all that extra work and do all those extra things. And so one of the big things I learned, I actually attended the Google Design Sprint Conference. And one of my biggest takeaways from there was the importance of building the culture of trust. And it was also one of the biggest themes that came out of the research. When you, I went to Design 39 because when you go in for a visit, you're going to see so many incredible things on the outside, but what you won't see are all the things kind of like that iceberg analogy, all the things that are below the iceberg, the trust, the understanding your strengths, the really understanding what it means to collaborate. Like they had a beautiful line that they, and they said, you know, when we come together in collaboration, the first thing we ask is what are you energized by? We don't do that normally. That's just not what we do. And so those practices around building that culture of trust, building that culture of collaboration, using those design thinking practices for teachers gives them the autonomy and the knowledge to then go into their classrooms to figure out what that needs to look like for their students instead of kind of like following like a like a like a step-by-step -step formula just because we want to get it to the students first. And so I think when you really focus on the teacher and build that culture there, the rest by default will happen in ways that, you know, a leadership team or anybody from the outside would just not have the knowledge to know because we don't work with your students every single day the way you do. Yeah, and I, I think that's well said. And, you know, right after I watched the film and started do more, doing more research on your background, I went to your webpage. That's when I knew we were kind of kindred spirits because at the top it said the future should be designed not left by chance I think so many teachers especially new teachers young teachers that are coming out of the, the college experience they come in they just want to survive and they use the textbooks that are provided they do the traditional lesson plans and I, I've always said that we teach the way we were taught we lead the way we were led and so you still have this status quo of doing the same old thing this idea that you can be empowered and design 
classroom lessons for your kids that are going to be, you know, allow them to solve real world problems. It's just so powerful. And we need to have those conversations with teachers on day one, you know, not after they've watched the film or not, you know, five years into their teaching career. Uh, what are your thoughts about the difference between just kind of, you know, rolling with what you've always done and being an active designer in the classroom? Yeah, I, I, to me, it really all comes down to mindset. It's another reason why I really love, like people will ask, well, what's the difference between design thinking and project-based learning and like all these other methodologies that are out there. But one of the things that I really love, I actually see design thinking more of a mindset than a structure to kind of plan and do things. I really lean more into those design sprint practices for the day-to-day -day structural things. But with the design thinking, it's you know, there's never going to be a time where you do a workshop. And this is why we have to start with culture and leaders, because there's never going to be a time where you do a design thinking workshop, 60 minutes, two hours, anything, you know, whatever time you want to give it. And you're like, okay, great. I know design thinking. I'm going to go do design thinking. It really is this like ongoing method where over time you build that mindset muscle, you build your creative confidence, you build your confidence with trying new things and recognizing that it's okay to not have the right answer or the answer, or that something isn't going to be perfect the first time, those things are so contradictory to the way in which we grew up and the way in which we're used to practicing, especially in a professional environment where you may have a review coming up. Like you said, you're a first-year teacher and all you are thinking about is like your evaluations and doing the right things. It can be really challenging. So for me, those design thinking practices really, really, really help with the mindset. But I think also once you have that mindset, you really breathe a sigh of relief. I'll give you a really great example. Lately, um, just literally like last weekend, one of my um, like new things I've been looking into are AI copywriting tools. And I don't know if you've seen any of them, but they are phenomenal. Like I was just sharing how so often I will write something like maybe an Instagram or a LinkedIn caption or a blog post, and I'll send it to like two or three people I'll be like, can you read this? Can you give me feedback? And this weekend I didn't, I just plugged it into that AI and it wrote something 10 times better than I could have ever written. And while some people may look at that as like cheating or whatever, for me, the way I saw it was like, wow, you just really freed up my time. Like this technology just freed up my time to just think of ideas. That's something a machine can't do. And, you know, that's really, you know, again, if you go back to the work of Eric Brynjolfsson in the documentary, he talks about like, you know, technology is not destiny. We shape our destiny, but we have to learn to use technology in new ways to do new things. And I think once you embrace it in that way, you need the mindset though, before you can ever even think about doing that. It is so liberating for both yourself as an educator or a leader, but also as a student and as a learner. You know, I, I think without question, my favorite part of the film, and I don't know if this was by design or if it just happened organically, but there was a lot of conversation about how the role of the teacher has changed, how the role of the student has changed. And so if you think about the traditional model, it's teacher transferring knowledge to student and the student is just basically going to sit there and wait for information to come their way, you know, sponge it up and become, you know, a student. So the shift is teacher to designer. Now the teacher's designing those engaging lessons and the student takes more ownership of their learning uh, by becoming a learner. So it's really teacher from going from teacher to designer, from student to learner. And I, that just blew me away. If, I, if you would have been here, I would have given you the big, biggest high five you'd ever have. That is so awesome. I feel like I'm getting it right now. It was so, like I said, your email was just like such a, put a total smile on my face. It's so nice to read 
that kind of, you know, feedback, you know, when you kind of do this work, you have no idea what your reaction is going to be or how it's going to play out and whatnot. Um, but, but I do think it is, like I said, it's very liberating. And one of the other things, you know, they shared in the documentary and the research is it, that's what teachers already are. It gets taken away from you the same way we say with students, right? Like students are curious. They already have all of these things, but you go into that school environment. It's almost like it's taken away from you. And I think it's the same for the teacher. It was the one big epiphany that many of the educators shared was that we are designers. Like this is what we're already doing. Design thinking really just gives us that structure to be able to be like, oh, okay, I can plug it in this way and think about it this way as well. Yeah. And I, I mean, it was just a, a pivotal part of the film that, that really resonated with me. But if you think about students taking more ownership of their own learning, you know, and not just kind of sitting there and being part of the old way of doing things. From a design thinking lens, what can we do to become more engaging for kids, for them to really get, get excited about what they're learning about? Yeah, I think one of the best ways to start that's so freeing, yet also just really insightful is student interviews. I think going to learners and really asking them, like, like, what do you enjoy doing in school? Like, what kinds of things are you learning outside of school? If we had to stop doing something in school, what would you want us to stop doing? Like, what would you want us to do more of? I think being able to do a design thinking experience about school with students, and I actually have one that's available. I can send you the link if you have show notes. It's completely free. Like, you just download the deck and do it with the students. Um, it's a really, really, really insightful activity that I think gives everybody a starting point for what we can do. I always say, like, I'm always so inspired when I talk to learners. They, it's so funny because we'll be sitting in meetings, you know, with leadership and whatnot behind closed doors. And then all of a sudden you go to students and it's like, wow, the, the answers were just right here for us all along. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I just, again, it was just such a, um, a wonderful experience to sit there and watch, uh, you know, the excitement coming from the parents, from the teachers, from everyone involved. Uh, as a part of the film. I, I guess the the last part of the conversation I want to have with you is the actual filming process and kind of mapping that out. You had to be a designer to kind of figure out who you wanted to talk to, what questions you wanted to ask, how you were going to edit the film. Do you have a background in, in, in film and video or how did you pull this off? Because I, I, I often think you know, rather than doing a podcast, I'd love to go out and shoot some film and do some interviews and put together my own little documentary, but that's a lot easier said than done. I won't by any means say it was easy. What I would say is there are so many people who will help you when you put an idea out into the world. That That's literally where I'll start. And so I will say that I actually attribute a lot of that confidence to the iPad. I think just having the iPad um, back in like 2011 allowed me to build, like I said earlier, that creative confidence. And I think when you're just, when you have the technology and you're using it, you realize like, okay, like it's really not that big of a deal if you think about it to pull out your phone even, or an iPad or a camera, get a mic and go shoot some video. The story part, I will say came together mostly because the research, 
So I use that as the framework, but you know, I, I always, I always tell people like, I hope like the documentary inspires, like this is one story. Design 39 was one story. When you're doing these kinds of research projects, they don't let you do 10 different ones all at once. <laughs> they make you choose one. And so design 39 is one story, but you know, if I was, you know, a school or, you know, I was somebody who saw the documentary and was like, Hey, like we're doing something cool too. I would literally just pull out your phone, get a wireless mic. That's like probably the most important part. And I would think about what is that one story you want to tell? and go out and tell it, like capture those interviews. I can't say that I went in with a script. I didn't, I didn't go in with a script. I didn't go in with an idea of like what the storyline was gonna be like. I had the research questions that I knew I had to ask for my dissertation. And we use those questions to kind of inspire and then piece together the important parts of the story. So like there were, there were themes that emerged. And I think when you tell a story around a theme, it, um, it, it just kind of comes together. There's so many frameworks out there that will help you for telling stories and whatnot, but it's really just allowing people's ideas to be heard, I think is one of the most important. And um, just thinking like, what is that one idea that you want people to take away from something? So I guess the million dollar question for you and, and neither one of us have a crystal ball, but you know, what's next? What is your, your big, bold vision for, for schools in the future as they use design thinking principles? I think it's how they build on optimism. Just last week, actually, I was with a group of superintendents in California. And I think it, when I had asked this question of how do you currently feel a year ago, overwhelmed was the overwhelming answer I was getting. And this time I was so happy to hear how many people, literally everyone in the room, yes, they were overwhelmed. Yes, they had a lot of stress and a lot of other things going on, but everybody started to say that they felt optimistic about what's next. But optimism is a very vague concept. And, you know, one of the books I've been, you know, reading lately and recommending to people is Imaginable by Jane McGonigal, because one of the things that I think she does really well in that book is she teaches you how to refine your feelings around optimism, how to measure optimism, both for yourself and within your organizations. And so I think what's next is people are optimistic. People are ready. They need structure. And it sounds so contradictory, but structure ultimately gives you freedom and they need structure. They need routines to take that optimism, to take the ideas, to take everything they've experienced, but step by step by step being given the opportunity to work though through those things in collaboration. It is not, I always say it is just completely unfair to ask our teachers and anyone really to do this work alone. It's really building that culture of trust, building that culture of collaboration and giving people the autonomy and trust to know that, hey, these are professionals who can figure these things out themselves when given the right environment and culture to work in. So that's what I hope is next. And that's what I hope we go into um, because there, there's a lot of great work being done. There's a lot of great work, a lot of great stories and a lot of great people out there willing to come together. Well, I think it's a touchdown, and I think you just spiked the football in the end zone there with, with what the vision is for the future. So it's been a delight talking with you, and again, big fan of your work. Tell the folks real quickly how they can find the film if they want to watch or if they want to connect with you. Absolutely. I think the best way is just go to designingschools.org. I always say it's like a choose your own adventure, wherever social media you go to, there's a link to the documentary there, but designingschools.org is the home base kind of for everything. Well, thanks for your time and best of luck this year. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So that's a wrap on this episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. 
And don't forget to give us a five-star rating and leave a comment wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As friends of the podcast, I hope you can give me a follow on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins, where you can learn more about my work as a partnership ambassador with the Modern Classrooms Project, and also about my work with Brave Ed, where innovative school districts across the country are leading change through a benefits-based accountability system that allows school communities to redefine student success. So until next time, folks, thanks for listening and keep fighting for change in your school.